See, that's why it's so important to be under the Word. And people that are truly rescued don't want to get out from under this. They just want more of it. And the challenge is if we're not under this and not in it, and if the Word is not in us, how will we truly discern what's false from what is true? Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we come before you and Holy Spirit, we pray that you would move in this place. Holy Spirit, we ask by your power that you would do something today that would shake us, that would give us a longing for you and your word and your truth. Father, in a world that's off the rails, even in a church culture often that bends and buckles to acquiesce to the culture, God, I pray that we would be a people here today that, that love well but stand for the truth at any and all costs. And so, Father, will you teach us today? Help us right now to block out every distraction, every challenge, every care, and just simply marinate in the living, active, breathing Word of God. Holy Spirit, we pray against the schemes of the enemy. We pray that His darkness and His lies and His deceptions would have zero foothold and all we would do is walk in the light. So Father, as we open this glorious Word, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable to You and only You, my Lord, my Rock, and my Redeemer. And we pray this all in the mighty In the matchless name of the risen Savior, King Jesus. And we pray this in His name only. The only name that we can be saved. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, here in 1 Peter chapter 4, we are back again in this study. And I don't know if you know this, but there's a new year. And we are in 22 and... It's amazing to think that here we are in 2022, amen? I can remember when Y2K was on the horizon. Anyone else remember Y2K? I was trying to get my scissors Y2K compliant. And now here we are in 22. There's this thing that we hear a lot about. They're called New Year's resolutions, They're interesting ideas, and typically that's all they amount to is ideas. 
Uh, we start out of the gate pretty well on perhaps a New Year's Day, and we say, hey, you know what, I'm going on a diet, or I'm going to exercise, and we go out and buy a, an expensive exercise machine, and uh, by typically January 3rd, it's now a very expensive coat rack, Amen. And it's crazy how this stuff works with these resolutions. We have good intentions to change, but we don't change. There's a phrase that I've said for years now, and it goes something like this, that we will change when our desire to change is greater than our desire to stay the same. Just process that for a minute. We will change when our desire to change is greater than our desire to stay the same. You know, we live in a culture right now with COVID and all that's going on in our world of Jesus haters, that they hate the name of Jesus, they hate the light, and this seems like to most people a time of great concern. I actually view it just the opposite. I view it as a great time for God to show up and show off His glory, amen? Have you ever thought about this, that if you really want to see a miracle, there has to be situations in your life that seem impossible, otherwise it's not a miracle. And perhaps that's you here today as you're facing 22, that on your horizon, on the map of your life, as you look at the radar of your life, you're looking at situations that just don't make any sense, and you don't know how this is going to work out. And, and again, perhaps the bottom is falling out, your back's against the ropes, your life is unraveling, perhaps even this morning. And what a great, not resolution, but what a great commitment 22 can be to say, you know what, no matter what comes my way, I'm just all in for Jesus. And even if the whole world abandons me and comes against me, I'm still going to run hard after His glory because here's the deal. When it's you and Jesus and no one else, you are still in the majority. Amen. Well, here we are in 1 Peter, and you talk about a group of people that if they would have quit, we wouldn't have faulted them. A relatively small group of people in this massive Roman Empire that are under heavy persecution for standing for the gospel, and they continue to take a beating one day after another, and Peter just implores them. He just comes at them with truth saying, don't lose heart. Well, here's what he says in these great words. And let's just start back in verse 1 of 1 Peter 4 for context and looking at 3 through 6 today. So here's what Peter writes by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, "...since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking." It's the mind of Christ. "...for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin." We talked all about that and doesn't mean that we are free from sin. No, we no longer are under the dominion of sin. Verse 2, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Now look at verse 3, our verse starting today. And he really gets descriptive here. 
For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles, that's unsaved people is what he's saying there, want to do. Living in what? Here we go. Here's the list, and it's a biggie. Sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Now look at verse 4. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And... They malign you, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. We read those short verses, and we probably are scratching our heads on a couple thoughts there. What is Peter getting at here? What is his goal? What is his purpose? I think we see many things in this text today, but before we get deep into that, here's what I want us to think through as we launch into 22. When you look at 22 on the map, and we have a new theme that I mentioned earlier, that it's back to the basics. So many times we overcomplicate the spiritual journey. Back to the basics, God's Word, God's holiness, prayer, fellowship. Bible study, discipleship, just basic nuggets of the raw gospel of Jesus Christ that we begin to take in because what you take in will be the outflow. And as you think through that thought, church, we got to understand this deep premise that when we take in spiritual junk food, we will produce junky spirituality. I think so often in these New Year's resolutions, we often uh, come to this conclusion that, you know, okay, Jesus, where are we going? What are we doing? As long as it's centered under our plan and our scheme. And where I pray that I go and I pray that you go is we just take our hands off the wheel, so to speak. We take our hands off the contract and we simply say, Jesus, here's the deal. What do you want to do with me in this new year? And whatever you want to do with me, I vote yes. See, it's interesting when you think about that concept and you bring it down to what Peter is talking about to these believers, these believers that are pressing hard, they're running hard. Yes, they're tempted to be discouraged. They're tempted to quit. But he says, look, here's the deal. When you are living in Christ, he says this so beautifully in those first two verses. He says, Christ suffered in the flesh, so arm yourselves. He's saying, do something. Christianity is not a passive pursuit. It's not just a Sunday only. We're just not weekend warriors. Christianity is a wholesale change of the life. There's a transformation that takes place. And when Jesus Christ comes into that life, the beautiful part of this is that He does this. He completely, I mean completely, changes the way that we think. Here Peter is saying, look, you got to change the way you think in this. Because these people, when you look down here in verses 3 through 6, the people that are coming against them aren't happy. They're not happy campers. We can deduct from some of this reading and from the study I've done this past week 
that perhaps these believers were living in this debauchery, but then they came to know this Jesus. There was a wholesale change. Their life had been greatly, radically rocked and transformed. And now the people that are still living in the darkness are looking at the people walking in the light, and they're going, wait a minute, what are you guys doing? We're real surprised by this. Have you ever maybe had a family member that doesn't quite get why you're so committed to this Jesus? You know, when I read those verses there this past week in this preparation, I was reminded that pursuing satisfaction outside of Christ will never bring satisfaction. Pursuing satisfaction outside of Christ will never bring satisfaction. Matter of fact, when you look at the Beatitudes there in Matthew 5, there's a beautiful verse in there that simply says this, that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And we're all on this journey, and the people in Peter's day were on this journey, and they're running hard, and they're tempted to be discouraged, and they're tempted to quit, and they want to be satisfied. And the scorecard for satisfaction in our economy and the scorecard for satisfaction in God's economy aren't always the same thing. Have you ever been hated because you're surrendered to Christ? Have you ever been despised? You know, when you look in your Bible, it's very interesting that you see this thought. Look at this for just a moment. Those that are living in sin, verse 3 through 6, are surprised. They think it's strange when you do not join them in the sin. And they do something, here's how they respond, and they malign you. So think about Peter. Think about this culture. Think about these believers. They're light in darkness. Light begins to shine on the darkness. Darkness hates to be exposed for what it is. And so what happens? Those that are walking in the light are now with those that are walking in the darkness. And the people in the darkness go, wait a minute, we don't want to get exposed. So now we're going to malign you. What does it mean to malign? You guys ever use that like in common day speech? Hey, honey, how was your day at work? Man, it was great, except for lunchtime. I got maligned. Kind of a unique word, isn't it? It simply means this, to be slandered, to have evil spoken against you. I don't know about you, but when someone slanders me or speaks evil against me, it's not overly exciting. But we know from God's Word that the truth of God's Word is so illuminating in the darkness. It's so convicting that often those who refuse to break their stiff necks will do everything they can to remain in darkness. That's why key number one, I want you to write this down in your notes, key number one. Here it is, key number one, write this down. Those who seek their own will will come against those who seek God's will. Key number one, here it is. Those who seek their own will 
will come against those who seek God's will. Again, it's just part of how this world works. Uh, Often you see it through character assassination. But what do we do? I mean, what do we do? What is our response going to be? Are we going to lower ourselves down into that pit and play that game? Or do we rise above it? Do we use the thought, the springboard of, God, I know you're going to take my mess and create a message. It's not what I want. This is lousy. This stinks. But God, I know you brought me to it. And because you brought me to it, I know you're going to lead me through it. How will we respond? Well, look at your notes there. Think about this before we go to our response. How will those who seek their own will go against those who seek God's will? You got to know how the mind is working. You got to know the manipulation going on. Number one, here's what will happen they will do so with their mouths. Write that down in your notes. They will do so with their mouths. You say, where do you get that from? Well, the scripture just said they will malign you. You're in light, they're in darkness. And so what happens? They begin to attack. You know, I was thinking about that thought over this past week of reflection, and you know, there's that old summation, if you will, of speaking. Is what I'm about to say, is it from the Lord? That's just a great filter, isn't it? Is what I'm about to say from the Lord? Well, if we come out of that question going, no, don't say it. If we come out of that question going, you know, I'm not sure, don't say it. Because we can play that game back to those that are in darkness and they will malign us with their mouths. Number two, with rebellious attitudes. They will malign us just not with speech, but they can do so with a rebellious attitude. And God's Word is very clear in His Word that He seeks those, He favors those, He blesses those that obey, that are humble, that are contrite. And number three, with actions of undermining, with actions of undermining. You know, it's interesting that when you think about this, and maybe you're thinking right now of a family dynamic, you're in for Jesus, you love Jesus, and they're coming at you with their mouth. Perhaps there's a rebellious spirit towards you. Perhaps they're even undermining and pushing against you as you run hard after Christ. Because why? That they don't want to be exposed for where they're living, so they go on the offensive to take the spotlight off them. You got to remember, though, church, that standing for the truth doesn't create a diseased and broken system. Standing for the truth exposes it. And so many people in Peter's culture and in our culture are living in this darkness. And when we walk in the light, Satan and his minions, they are not happy. They will come against you because the enemy, he blinds people, he deceives people. And then he motivates them to begin attacking the truth. But can you imagine? I thought about this this past week. I said, Lord, can you imagine the severity? Just imagine the severity of those people that they're going to face when they've come against God's word and they've come against the truth. And there's going to be a great penalty to pay. And that's why we plead with people be reconciled to God. Don't walk in darkness, walk in truth. And that so often, the response is just a blank stare. Have you noticed, though, church, that when the truth is on trial, what typically happens is 
those that are in the darkness begin to malign and begin to do so with intense attacks. And often the flavor of the day today is victimology, isn't it? Everybody's a victim, right? Never my fault, it's your fault. And yet when I open God's Word, when I put the mirror up to my life and I see it and I look intently into the law of the Lord and I see my own brokenness and I see my own pride and I see my own selfishness and all that goes on in my own wicked heart at times, it just clearly reveals to me how direly I need Jesus. How direly I need the Word. How direly I need to be nourished from the Word. Deep nourishment for my soul that will set me free. I was thinking of a supporting text, and I want you to write this down. Write down John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 21. And again, maybe you're going through a difficult time at work in your family, and you're being maligned. They are saying things about you that aren't true. You're being lied about. You're being slandered. They're attacking you. You're walking in truth. You're not perfect, but you're walking in truth, and they're coming against you. Well, here's a great reassurance from Jesus Himself. In John chapter 15, verses 18 through 21, here's what He says. If the world hates you, know. There's a knowing there. There's a a deep resonance that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world... hmm, Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus says, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on my account of my name. Why? Because they do not know him who sent me. Frightening, isn't it? I mean, just think of that. That's frightening. There's people out there that profess the name of Jesus. Pastors, church leaders. I've seen this happen all throughout my ministry. They profess the name of Jesus, but time is the great exposure of of who we all really are. And enough time goes by and the curtain gets pulled back. And the maligning and the rebellious attitudes and the undermining that they did was all because of that verse there. All these things they will do to you on my account of my name, Jesus says, because they do not know Him, God, who sent me. Wow. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. You know, no one likes, as I said earlier, to be maligned. But it's interesting when you read God's Word. God's Word is so refreshing, isn't it? It's so nourishing to the soul. And there in those same Beatitudes, 
Jesus goes through this list. He gets to the very end of the Beatitudes and he says this, hey, here's the deal. And I'm paraphrasing. He didn't really say here's the deal. I'm paraphrasing. It's like, here's the deal. When they reject you and they come against you and they defame you, he says, rejoice. (laughs) Rejoice. Rejoice and be glad. Because it's actually a compliment. Because darkness attacks light. When those who are walking in the light get attacked, it's just another reminder that the darkness recognizes who they stand for. Think about this as you go into 22. I don't know what's on your horizon. I don't know what's on my horizon, but I know this. Because Jesus lives, I can face today and I can face tomorrow. And we cling to those thoughts as we run hard after the truth of the gospel. Look at verses 5 and 6, and just for a moment, what does the Bible say that will happen to those who seek their own will and not God's will? Well, here's what the Bible says, verse 5, but they will give an account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. Now, pause there for a moment. There's a lot of debate on that phrase. Most scholars would agree that these are believers who heard the word and have died. Perhaps even martyred. And done so before Peter wrote this gospel letter. And then he goes on that though they're judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way that God does. Amen. I mean, this is frightening though, isn't it? I mean, if this doesn't frighten us and keep us on our toes, that they will give an account, they will give an explanation. I can remember growing up as a boy and, you know, doing some stuff that I shouldn't have done and, you know, uh, mom would find out and I thought it was comical when she found out, but when dad found out and got home, I didn't think it was so funny, amen? And I had to give an explanation, Can you imagine to the infinite, eternal degree, infinite, that those who reject the light, that those who are walking in the darkness, that those who are on the wide path that leads to destruction, every one of those people will have to give an account. And by that time, there aren't any do-overs. There aren't any, hey, you know, I was just teasing Jesus. You know, can I get a, a mulligan on this hole? It's going to be too late. That's why we're so passionate about the gospel. That's why we're so passionate about the Word of God. You know, this isn't like just a club that you join. This isn't just something you tinker around with. This is eternal in nature. There are are eternal stakes going on right now. And we have the greatest cure for the greatest disease called sin. And the greatest cure is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why we won't bend. We won't buckle. We won't break. We are passionate about the truth of God's Word. I've seen people over the years, well, I hear you, preacher, but I was in RAs when I was seven. Okay, great. Where did that get you? It doesn't matter what we've done externally. The real question is, has our life truly been transformed? Have we given our life to Christ? 
And here in this context, Peter is pouring into these believers. He's saying, look, I know this is hard. I know this is difficult. Don't panic. The sky is not falling. God is in charge. He knows exactly what he's doing. Jesus said he would build his church. And as he's pouring into these believers, he's saying, look, stay the course. Stay dialed into the mission. Do not bend, buckle, nor break, but just stand tall, stand firm, stand anchored. Because as Peter's telling them, those people that are maligning, unless they repent, they're going to give an account and then forever go into the lake of fire. That's why key number two is so important. Here's key number two. The startling warning is that we will all give an account for how we lived our lives. Therefore, the daily goal is to be men and women full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. Key number two. Write it down. The startling warning is that we will all give an account for how we lived our lives. Therefore, the daily goal is to be men and women full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. You say, wait a minute, preacher. Jesus right here through the Word of God is the judge of those who are walking in darkness. Yeah, but you've got to understand something here. There's also called the Bema Seat of Christ. It's the Judgment Seat of Christ. And even though for those that are truly saved, we'll be at the Bema Seat, not this great white throne judgment, we will still give an account. Not for our salvation, but for the reward. And that's a whole other series that we'll look into at some point. But how do we accomplish this? I mean, think about this. How do you accomplish this? If you and I are here today and you're like, look, man, I want to be a man or woman that's full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. How do I get there? Well, I can assure you and me, it's not by doing nothing. Again, Christianity is not passive. Christianity is just not intellectual. You take an intellectual, conscious mind decision that I'm going to give my life to Jesus there now becomes an act of the will where you turn your life over. I mean, I can think about doing something, but never actually do it. You give your life to Christ, but then it's just not, man, I'm glad I got that over with. No, that's actually when the journey begins, and that's where so many people miss this. When you give your life to Christ, that's actually when the process begins. And as it begins, you got to do something. How many of you ever took algebra in high school or middle school? Man, not many people took algebra, huh? We're not a very math-oriented church, okay. Don't sign up for the stewardship team. Did you just go to algebra once a month and get an A? You see the point, and you go, well, we had to go. I get it. But what's the point? You don't grow deep in anything in this life unless you do it. How do we do this? Let me give you five quick things. And these are not exhaustive. Write them down in your notes. Number one, fear the Lord, not man. Number one, fear the Lord, not man. So many people fear man. And it has a stranglehold on their life, on their marriage 
on their home, on their business, their ball team, their church. Don't fear man. We spend so much time worrying about what other people think of us. Let's start asking God what He thinks of us. Let's not ask everyone else their opinion. Let's ask God His opinion. Number two, pursue holiness, not self. Pursue holiness, not self. That's a toughie. We're wired to pursue self, but when we've given our life to Christ, we want to be holy. We want to live holy in all that we do. Number three, dive deep into the Word. Dive deep. Be a self-feeder of the Word. If all you're doing is getting the Word of God on a Sunday morning, you will never detox from the other six days of the nonsense of the world. It will never happen. You're on a fool's errand. Be a self-feeder of the Word daily. Number four, be fervent in prayer. I believe in prayer. Does anyone else in the church house believe in prayer? I believe God answers prayer. I believe God does a great work in prayer. I think so many times our prayers are hitting the ceiling because, well, if we're really honest, we really often don't believe what we're praying. And we just begin to pound on the door of heaven and say, God, man, if you don't come through, this just won't happen. And we pray, and we pray hard, and we believe God can do something in our midst. Number five, lastly, be here each Sunday and be engaged while you are here. Number five, be here each Sunday and be engaged while you are here. I had the joy last week of uh, listening to my son preach at another church. And when I go listen to someone preach, I open my Bible and I got a notebook. I came back with two pages of notes. Say, why do you do that? Well, here's why. Two reasons. Number one, I love to learn. Number two, I only remember, and you only remember on a good day, 15 to 20 percent of what you hear. So if I'm really going to put into practice and nourish my soul Monday through Saturday, I have to go back through the Word of God that I learned on Sunday. It's just a cycle. It begins to go into my soul. And I look back at the verses and I look back at the thoughts of the Holy Spirit. Maybe the preacher said something or maybe he didn't say something, but the Holy Spirit got onto the scene and spurred a thought and I wrote it down. I begin to marinate on these good things because there's so many things. Man, I'm telling you what, even as a pastor from Monday through Saturday, man, my mind is inundated from all different angles of what I'm thinking and what I'm seeing, and, and I, and I got to be in the words. I can't give you what I myself don't have in me. And I spend hours upon hours. You think the sermon's long. You're glad that I didn't preach what I studied, amen? We'd be here all day. But that's how seriously I take this stuff. It has changed my life. And I plead with God, and it happens every Saturday night. It happened 426 this morning. I, he wakes me up, and I begin to pray. And I pray harder, and I pray harder. I just keep praying, Lord, do a work. Today's the day, God, you're going to do a work. I mean, today's the day you're going to show up and show up your glory. I mean, today's the day. Because I believe it. Be here each Sunday. Circle on your calendar. Make an appointment. Don't be legalistic. Just be here. Nourish your soul. Feed your soul. Because what's in you, Monday through Saturday, will come out of you. 
Are you being persecuted for your faith? See, a tree is known by its fruit. Matthew chapter 12 says it like this. Write that down, Matthew 12, 33 through 37. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. Don't miss that. You brood of vipers. But Jesus is being very complimentary, isn't he? How can you speak good, as he's talking to these Pharisees, when you are evil? Wow, that's bold. For out of the abundance of the heart, church, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure, what's in him, the word, brings forth good. And the evil, the dark person, out of his evil treasure, he's all about self, brings forth evil. I tell you on the day of judgment, boy, this is a warning, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Wow. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Kind of goes back to that thought of people will malign us with their mouths, won't they? See, that's why it's so important to be under the Word. And people that are truly rescued don't want to get out from under this. They just want more of it. And the challenge is if we're not under this and not in it, and if the Word is not in us, how will we truly discern what's false from what is true? I believe Paul gives us an admonition here in Ephesians chapter 5. And here's what he says in Ephesians 5, 6 through 12. Listen very closely. Write that down. Ephesians 5, 6 through 12. He says this, let no one deceive you with empty words. We live in a culture today of empty word preaching. What do you want to hear? What's going to tickle the ears? What's going to make us feel good? He says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Did you catch that? Let me read this again. Ephesians 5, verse 6, let no one deceive you, trick you, seduce you with empty, vain words that don't amount to a hill of beans. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part, zero, in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. I was watching a program years ago, and it, I'm not really sure, I can't remember exactly what it was other than weird. But it showed a scene where in New York City, they shined a light 
on the sewer system. Sounds exciting show, huh? Amen. And it was amazing the number of rats. Like, I couldn't believe it. But what really struck me was that the rats were just carrying on business as usual when it was dark. And when they turned on a light, these rats were running for the piney woods. And they were scurrying all over the place. What a great reminder of this light versus darkness battle. Paul reminds us right here, he says, have no fellowship. Be careful who you're hanging out with, is what he's saying. Well, you know, we like to go out to eat and we go on vacation. And Great, get a new friend. If someone that you know is masquerading as a believer, but they're not really a believer, and they're actually causing discord and division... Be careful who you hitch your wagon to. Anyone like movies? That's frightening. (laughs) Boy, you get that big 55-gallon drum of popcorn. You know what I'm talking about, right? (laughs) And then you walk over to that pump. You know what I'm talking about, the pump? You know what I'm talking about, right? The pump. And I mean, the butter is just coming out of the pump, isn't it? And the Holy Spirit is just hovering over that bowl. Amen. Praise Jesus, right? How many times do you go to the movie? You go to the movie and, uh, you know, they're, you got some thieves on the screen. They're robbing the bank. And unfortunately, uh, some guy pulls up right outside the bank and they all jump in and about half a block from the, the bank. The authorities pull them over. And who goes to jail in that equation? Well, I, I was just driving and I just pulled up and they jumped in my car. Everybody goes to jail, right? I believe that's what Paul is getting at right here. Be careful. We may not be doing the maligning, but we might be driving the getaway car. And Peter's saying, if you're on that side of the equation or on the other side, the bottom line is this, we need to make sure we're in the light. And if we're on the other side, we repent and we begin to walk in this light. I was thinking of a thought This past week, I came across an article that greatly stirred my heart. Because here's the deal. As I prepare to close, I want to just try to tie a big red bow on this. Let me make something very clear. If you have given your life to Christ, and it's real and it's true, and you're willing to go make disciples that make disciples, the enemy doesn't ring your doorbell and say, hey, we're glad you did this. Let me get the door for you and let me help you on your journey. Now, what the enemy does, he looks for every little crevice in your life to begin to attack, to discourage, to dissuade you from living for the gospel. So the reality is this. Paul said it like this to young Timothy. He said, those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 
So it's just part of, and persecution, by the way, is not, you know, per se, just torture. It's not those things that we think about. Persecution is in the form here of being maligned, being slandered, being lied about, character assassination. That's persecution. Here's what I want to encourage us as a band of believers. As this family here today, I want to encourage us. It's not will we be persecuted, it's just when. It's going to happen. Here's the key, church. It's all about our response. What will we do? What will you do? What will I do when you, when I am persecuted? Well, I think this closing illustration hopefully motivates us. Author Charles Stone describes a pastor by the name of Jonathan who often took a beating, if you will, when he stood for the truth and attempted to lead others to personal holiness. And here's what he said, and I quote, He faced everything from power struggles to salary controversies to questions about his leadership. Once he confronted some boys in the church after they had taunted several girls with suggestive comments. His handling of the situation outraged the boys' parents and fueled the resistance towards him. One final act was the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. The previous pastor had loosely allowed unbelievers to become members. And because he believed that only believers who evidenced a changed life should join the church, he began to change the policy. A firestorm erupted, and Jonathan knew that were he to stand on his convictions, he could lose his pastorate. However, he stood his ground, and the inevitable occurred. They fired him, and at the age of 46, he found himself unemployed. The rejection became so intense that the agricultural town forbade him to use common grazing land for his farm animals. However, ten years later, here it is, church, because Jonathan had so graciously responded to his critics and his dismissal, one of his main detractors admitted that pride, self-sufficiency, ambition, and vanity had caused the contention. The pastor's handling of this ministry crisis left such an impression that eventually the church publicly repented of their actions exactly 150 years after they sent him packing. End quote. Wow. Any idea what Jonathan's last name was? You got it. Edwards. Amazing. See, the reality is this, that when we walk in light, we're in a battle, we're in darkness. And we stand tall, we do it lovingly, we do it courageously, we do it gracefully. Why? Because prayerfully, the people that are in the darkness will see our good works and not glorify us, but they'll begin to glorify our Father who's in heaven, and they'll turn and they'll repent. And I don't know about you, but for those that might be coming against you today, maybe it's a family member or a co-worker, maybe you go to work and you get made fun of, and they go, oh, you're that sissy Christian. And I pray that you pray for those people every day, Lord, just bring them to the light of the gospel. Bring them to the truth that will set them free. And when they do, we'll throw a big party. Because as Peter said, when they malign you, not if, how will you respond in 22? What are you going to do with that family reunion with that person that there's such deep contention with? 
What are you going to do? How are you going to handle this going forward? Are we simply going to say, Jesus, hey, get on my plan and my program? Or we're going to say, Jesus, here in 22, just take my life and let it be. Use me for your glory. Make a difference whatever you want to do with my life. My life is no longer my own. Amen. Oh, Father, we come before you today as we just cherish this time together. Lord, thank you that we could assemble around your word. Lord, thank you that we could just be nourished and fed from the truth of the gospel. And Lord, I pray if there's one here today that maybe is greatly discouraged because they're being maligned. Lord, I pray that they would rest in you, total confidence in you. Oh, Father, we pray that we'd be gracious receivers of criticism, gracious receivers of persecution, that people would see how we respond to these things. And prayerfully, the Holy Spirit, you'd come onto the scene in their lives, open their eyes spiritually, open their ears spiritually, that they might truly give their lives to you. Holy Spirit, don't allow us to leave here today and not being changed. But I pray that we would leave here different, more Christ-like than when we walked in. Oh, Father, I pray if there's one here today that has never truly given their life to you, that I pray that they will step out today with courage, with boldness, and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to obey Him as He prompts me through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, give us courage to simply do what you want us to do. And we'll give you the praise. We'll give you the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.